Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Scott Lewis. I'm the Editor-in-Chief at The Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn, Executive Director at Education Synergy Alliance. And this is Good Schools for All. We're, we're doing it. We are. Here we are. We're doing this. Uh, uh, very excited. This is the debut episode of Good Schools for All, uh, doing live out of the, or not live, uh, recorded out of our um, podcast studio in San Diego, California. And again, this is the first episode of Good Schools for All. So I just wanted to take a second for... Uh, to explain what Good Schools for All is, why we chose that name. And for me, it was just, it was kind of extreme simplicity. I just wanted to focus on something that, uh, you know, a, a description that made clear that uh, that we had a goal in mind that would kind of be the basis for every discussion that we had, but that was also a very simple idea, and that's Good Schools for All. And it, and it wasn't, you know, and it, why Good Schools for All? Well, look, we as a society have decided we're going to provide education for everybody. And in, in, in California, it's part of our constitution. And so, you know, we've already accepted this idea. So how can we make sure it's not only equitable, but equitable can also be bad, right? Everything can be equally bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely. so how do we make sure it's equitably uh, good? And, and that's why I was, I was really interested in that title. What, 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 what do you think of when you heard Good Schools for All when we settled on that? Yeah, well, for me, it's about why I get up in the morning, why I work on education every day and have been for the last 20 years or so. And I also think that a lot of the people that we're going to talk to, it's their motivation also. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they're in the field. That's why they care about kids or it's how they're caring about kids. And so I think uh, I think we're going to learn a lot by coming at our community and the idea of education through that lens of equity, equity of opportunity for all kids and good schools for all is it's really about that one good school, another good school, another good school, every kid, every family should have at least one and ideally several choices of really good schools that they um, have no qualms about sending their kids to. I have one particular main goal here as well. And that is to solve my own existential insecurity about what I'm doing with my own kids as they just start their <laughs> educational career. This whole show basically is self-serving for me <laughs> to help me with all these choices because this is insane. This is really hard. I know it is. It is really hard from a parent perspective too. So let's see what we can do for you, Scott. I don't know <laughs> It's like a, <laughs> if we'll get there, but let's try. Right. Well, it's like the burden of choice, right? See, if, if, we, if we were growing up in some small town somewhere and there was just, you know, two preschools and one elementary school, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't have, that's the school, you know, that's why, what am I going to do? Like homeschool or that, right? Yeah. But here it's got, I've got this portfolio of preschool options, you know, they each have different philosophies or whatever. And then you have the neighborhood school and then you have some charter schools and then you have some friends that are going to private schools. And, you know, it's like, it's like you never how am I ever gonna feel like I made the right choice and 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 just gonna be comfortable with that, not not wondering uh, you know, what is out there. And I think part of the reason we want to do this show is because we imagine there's parents out there who are feeling the exact same thing, right? And how do you make these how do you make these decisions? How do you make these choices, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, better to have 
lots of good choices than no choice at all, just one lousy school that you can send your kid to. But also, it's not just about parents. It's also about um, our political leaders, our community leaders. They want our kids to uh, have access to amazing schools because that's what's fueling our economy. That's what's building our workforce. Um, that's what's building citizens who can think critically about uh, what politicians are saying to them. Right, right. All right, so some mechanics for this show. We're going to be doing this about every week or so. We're also going to have a couple of segments each time, and we might evolve those over time. One of those is going to be called What's Working? We're going to pick a uh, item uh, or an idea or an innovation or a teacher or something that's going well at a school. And so over time, as we lay this out, we want you to participate, the listener. If you have something that's working at your school, uh, let us know. Um, and we're going to create avenues for that. The best avenue right now is to email me, scott at voiceofsandiego.org. Again, that's scott at voiceofsandiego.org. If you have something that's working in your school or if you want us to highlight or talk about something, send me a note and we'll see what we can do. Uh, the other feature we're going to have every week is called uh, the number of the week. And, um, you know, we're going to, by the way, we're going to go every week if we can, but we're also going to take uh, several weeks off here and there to, uh, you know, for vacations or, you know, kind of match the school year, right? It's, it's every week <laughs> except for a long <laughs> period of time here and there. So uh, uh, we'll let you know how that schedule goes. And uh, let's talk a little bit about ourselves, uh, Laura. First of all, my name's Scott again. I have two kids, a three-year-old, a five-year-old. Uh, five-year-old is now in uh, transitional kindergarten at his neighborhood school. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's he's doing well academically. They gave him an award uh, for academic achievement, nice. but he's having some behavior issues. Uh, he's saying some bad words uh, a lot. Where did he learn those bad words? Well, I don't know. I don't know where he picks up a word like wiener. Like where I I didn't I don't say wiener. Like where do they does it is it just is it is it this species of word that just lives in kindergarten? Yeah. And, and then so, yeah. and it just kind of spreads like a disease. Yeah. But, right. but some kids are bold enough to say it within hearing of adults. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm like, somebody said, well, somebody must have told on him. I'm like, nobody told on him. He just said it like very plainly <laughs> and a lot. All right. So now uh, let's let's talk about you. So what is the Education Synergy Alliance, first of all? Well, first of all, I would just want to say I have two kids also. Oh, mine, right. are, mine are uh, older than yours. So eighth grade and 10th grade, younger okay. daughter, older boy also. So it gets easier? It gets different. <laughs> Uh, not easier yet, but, um, but more fun, maybe mm -hmm. uh, less work a little bit, but still hard. Um, and Education Synergy Alliance is an organization that's working across the county. Um, we're trying to mobilize the community around big opportunities to change education for the better. Um, so we've been in operation for two and a half years and, uh, we're excited about what's been done, but we we also think this podcast will help raise the level of urgency and get more people engaged in education. And that's, that's part of what we're about to. And Voice of San Diego, for those of you who don't know, is a nonprofit news organization in San Diego. We cover, uh, education, housing, environment, the, and good government, just government issues. And, uh, and, you know, have really focused a lot on education and with the primary aim that, that every child needs to have access to good schools. And when we say that, we don't actually say, you know, that has to be the neighborhood school has to be perfect. It's not, it's that, it's that each kid has to have the opportunity to go to a, a public school uh, that they can afford or that is free, that is, uh, that is a great education, Right. Perfect. That's what it should be. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of those discussions come down to, is the neighborhood the best school for it sometimes? You know, is it is it that they should leave their neighborhood or that there should be an alternative? We're not going to take a side right now on anything like that. This is a matter of just saying the end is that every school should have, or every kid should have the opportunity to go to the best school possible. All right. And so uh, this week we have uh, Ida Rose Flores. Tell, tell me why you were so excited to have Ida Rose on the show. Ida Rose is one of our region's gems in education. She has been working on um, early childhood education for most of her career. Now she's the executive director of the Elementary Institute of Science. And um, I was just excited to lift her up because uh, San Diego needs to know that Ida Rose is here. All right. So stay tuned for Ida Rose. I'm very excited to talk to her. And uh, let's get this going. Huh? Let's do it. So as we talk about good schools for all, 
I think it was important for us to actually start from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's start from the very beginning, which is early education. Now, when you say is that the is that the word we're using now? It's not pre-K. It's not uh, uh, you know whatever. Uh, what? Why do we call it early education? We're saying early education because uh, kids are born learning, mm-hmm. really right out of the womb. They're learning. They're generating neurons at 700 per uh, second when in from birth to age three. And they're collecting, the way they're doing that is by collecting information from the world around them. So early education is um, intentionally not just pre-K. Pre-K is maybe four-year-olds only or three and four-year-olds. Early education is birth or even prenatal all the way up into third grade. Um, another term we use is P3, prenatal to third grade. So what, so prenatal, there is actually learning going on in the womb. Yeah, there's some crazy research about uh, the what children hear when they're in the womb and that they can um, respond to those sounds that they've heard in the womb in, within a week after being born. So it's not, you know, it's playing Beethoven to the womb is not going to make a difference <laughs> in a kid's trajectory, but just, you know, know that they're hearing and, and starting to uh, starting to learn even before they're born. Yeah, so I when you're, when you're, when you realize you're going to be a parent, you go through, I did, I went through this phase where I was like, well, okay, I can, I'm so excited to walk along the beach and tell them about what a supernova is and what a chemistry works and how chemistry works and how, you know, how infrastructure works and how, and, and you realize when you have the baby that you're a long way from that, <laughs> that, that, you know, you, they have to learn how to, you know, just manage their arms and grab things yeah. and, you know, the, the learning is is so it's just you have no idea until you have a child how rudimentary it starts yeah but then but then you got to get them in four or five years up to where they can start like being part of an institutionalized education process and so when we talk about early education you're talking about that process when it really kicks into you know actual institutions and and facilities that are helping them get to that point right Sure, but there are actual institutions uh, that are taking care of kids as young as yeah. you know six weeks old. That's true. Um, and also, I bet you experienced that while you weren't talking about supernovas to your baby, that when they said their first words or started grabbing things and putting them in their mouth, it's just amazing. They're oh. they're and then at one and a half, they're already powerful beings who have strong opinions and ideas about the world. So right. those early those early months are incredible for learning just so much going on and um and i think we under respect it we certainly do with our public investments we'll talk about that with the number of the number of the week later right so what is uh you know what is what is the education synergy alliance what are you guys doing what is what is uh, uh what is your obsession right now with this area right now we're pulling people together we're trying to spur up engagement passion and commitment to investing in early education Um, So we've pulled together something we call our P3 Salon. That's a group of early childhood educators, but also K-12 educators, other nonprofit partners, uh, university folks, and others. We're talking about um, early education, figuring out what we can do in it. We're implementing little programs here and there, and hopefully we're inspiring future investments in early ed down the line for San Diego County. And you guys had a recent event. This was the Heckman uh, Institute? We had an amazing event just week before last. Professor James Heckman, a Nobel laureate economist, and J.B. Pritzker, billionaire philanthropist and venture capitalist, were in town for a, a conference for the larger community foundation. San Diego Foundation was hosting this event. And so we were able to grab them and have them come and speak to a group of business leaders, philanthropists, nonprofit leaders, and others to share what they know, what they've learned, and why they are so passionate about and committed to helping more people learn to invest in early childhood. Well, what's the what's the problem right now? When you look at San Diego, is are are there just vast populations of people that aren't getting the resources or the, the support they need at this period of time? Yes, there are. I mean, just bluntly, we've uh, as a state, California, we're investing pretty well in supports for our lowest income families. But our working class uh, families, lower middle and middle income families, they get very little support for taking care of their kids and finding great, uh, great 
education, great preschool, great care for them. And uh, as a result, a lot of kids are arriving at school not with the same readiness to learn as we really want for all of our kids. And when I say that, I'm talking about do you know your alphabets? Do you know that a book begins on the right and goes to the left? Do you have a sense for quantity? These are sort of simple ideas that really help if a kid arrives at kindergarten with those concepts in their head, beginning, middle, last. And what happens if they don't? If they don't, the consequences are really serious. So uh, Professor Heckman recently published results that at-risk children who don't get high-quality early childhood experiences are 25% more likely to drop out of school, 40% more likely to become teen parents, and 60% less likely to attend college. It's really consequential. Well, it's not just it's not just these concepts, too. It's actually like motor skills, too, right? Like being able to hold a pencil, uh, hold scissors. I didn't even realize how those are skills that you need to develop, too. Yeah, and they come they come naturally and they come at different times for different kids. I want to be clear that every 5-year-old is ready to go to kindergarten and we our schools need to be ready to serve them no matter where they are. So it's not like they need to pass a test in order to get into kindergarten. At the same time, what we talk a lot in education about achievement gaps. That is the the gap in um reading and math achievement, you know, starting in 3rd grade, we can measure it. Well, what we now recognize is that really that achievement gap is there by the time kids are starting kindergarten. And so we need to start thinking about education as starting at birth and investing in kids so that the achievement gap isn't there by the time they get to kindergarten and therefore it won't be there later. Because really, schools are not so great at closing gaps once they're open. If a kid arrives behind, sometimes we can do good work with them and help them catch up. But generally, we're not not so skillful at that. So it's better to prevent the achievement gap than to try and remediate it later. And it's less expensive too. Well, what, you know, what, what programs need to be done? Like what, you know, you, you mentioned that the, that for the poorest of folks, there's actually opportunities. I remember we did a story not too long ago where there's actually a ton of space in some of the free preschool programs that the San Diego Unified uh, offers, but that they, they weren't recruiting uh, parents to take advantage of that as well as they could is uh, are there are there resources that aren't being used or do we need a vast infusion of resources there are resources that aren't being used the the state preschool program is really a pretty broken public policy at this point. So those open seats that you all discovered in um, our state preschool programs at San Diego Unified and elsewhere, it's because the state has set this incredibly low income qualifying threshold that's based on 2007 median incomes. And I think it's 70% of the 2007 median income. And it's just hard in San Diego County to find families who are that low income. And then on top of that, they make the preschool providers retest their income every three months, and they're supposed to kick them out if their income peaks a little bit. You know, if they get a dollar raise per hour, then they're supposed to be kicked out of the preschool. Do we have some kind of right to preschool in this this state? Nope. No right to preschool. So... So in fact, uh, kindergarten isn't even mandatory in the state of California. M- most people really? assume it is, and uh, the vast majority of our children are going to kindergarten, but it's actually not mandatory. What is mandatory? First grade, starting in first grade. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I know. Okay, so so there is no universal right to preschool, but we we do have sort of social welfare benefits that that for the poorest folks can access preschool mm-hmm. uh, but federal and state benefits yeah yeah but so the and this happens a lot in the school system it seems like there's for for uh, rich families there's a lot of foundation support there's a lot of, of of philanthropic investments that go in and for the and for some of the poorest there are a lot of state and federal programs but it's that sort of if you're not ultra poor but you're definitely not a well off or in a really great neighborhood uh, that there's there's often a, a hole there. Yeah. A, a and you're saying there's a big hole. one with, with early education. Yeah. I mean, the way I think about it is uh, for, for my family and for um, a lot of families, there was just no question about whether our kids would have some kind of preschool experience before they started kindergarten. And that's just not available for a, a lot, many, many, many families in San Diego County. And that's just preschool. Do we know how many? You know, it's hard to put a finger on it. We've we there's federal data that says that 49% of San Diego County three and four year olds are attending preschool. I think that's understated. 49%. Only half. 
that only half of San Diego kids are attending preschool. That's, and that's and you say that's understood. So it might be better than that. It might be 50, 60 percent, 60, 70. Might be 56, you know. But in the best like possible case, 30 percent or more are not going to preschool. That's right. That's our best estimate. Right. And looking at San Francisco as an example, they've been investing as a county, as a city and county in preschool for quite a while. 80% of San Francisco's kindergartners attended preschool in San Francisco Unified, and most of the rest of them attended some kind of private preschool or Head Start. So we're, we're a long way off in San Diego. All right. We're going to be talking to somebody on the front line of this discussion. Ida Rose Flores is going to join us. Uh, but first, our number of the week. Okay, our number of the week this week is $359. $359. It's about half a surfboard. <laughs> Everything I measure is in surfboards. All right, so. that's a good metric. So half a surfboard is what San Diego County is investing in education of our zero, one, and two-year-old children per child in San Diego County. That's what we're putting in. Should that be more? I guess here's your implication. It should be more. So in contrast, we're investing over $9,400 in every school-age kid, 6 oh. to 12-year-old. So if we did a little bit more on the beginning, we might have more success with that $9,600 we do later. And this is the message that Professor Heckman really delivered strongly. He looked at investments in early childhood um, across many, many different rigorous studies. He's a, he's a good economist geek like uh, my father and like uh, I was an undergrad. And he found that the by far the best returns on investment in our children come in those earliest years, actually prenatally, if you prevent birth defects or prevent low birth weight babies. But in those youngest years, you get your biggest returns on investment. So seven to ten dollars return, and that's when we're putting in our least amount of money. All right. And this week's what is working? So our our what is working this week is educational enrichment systems. Educational enrichment systems is a great provider of preschool and other early childhood programs for 1,100 kids across San Diego County. They've been it's a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit organization. It's led by Robin Layton, and she's actually the education CEO of the year from the San Diego Business Journal. Just this week, announced they've been doing great work with uh, some pretty limited and lousy public policies and public funding streams from California, but they're delivering great education what, for young kids. Is it like kids. a network of preschools? It is a network of preschools. Oh, okay. And one of my favorite things about educational enrichment systems is that they have some standalone preschools, but they also have preschools that they deliver in partnership with school districts, Vista and San Marcos Unified School Districts. They have partnerships so that some of their preschools are on school campuses, and so kids can start in EES preschools, that's educational enrichment systems, and then move straight into transitional kindergarten or kindergarten. And they, um, they build great relationships and great continuum of education for kids. Okay. I wanted to introduce you folks to somebody who's going to be helping us with this podcast. Her name is Rachel Evans. Rachel, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Rachel, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You, uh, you're from San Diego, right? Yes, I'm from San Diego. I was born and raised, and I went to Lincoln High School, graduated from there. And then I went up to USC for a couple of years, came back, and I'm here really glad to be working with Voice of San Diego. All right, cool. So Rachel's going to be helping us a lot with this uh, education podcast, some of our education coverage. Now, Rachel uh, went to this event on February 25th, the seminar on early childhood education, and uh, was able to actually take a couple of minutes to uh, put some interesting questions to J.B. Pritzker. He is, of course, the venture capitalist and philanthropist uh, highlighted in the, in the event. So he's kind of a big deal. Yes, very right? big deal. And they let you have two questions, right? That's right. All right. So what was the first one you asked him? Yes. Yeah, so I asked J.B. Pritzker why he believes a wealthy family who may want their own children to have an unfair advantage, why that wealthy family should invest in a poor family. Okay. Let's hear what he had to say. Um, I think that we're, we're in this together. Let's start with that. There's no advancing the entire country without the least of us, the people who are suffering the most let's say, um, having 
certain opportunities made available to them. In fact, opportunity to succeed in their education, an opportunity to graduate and figure out what it is that they should have as a career and then actually pursue that career with a job opportunity. Those are things that we are, it's good for the country. So anybody that thinks that, you know, what's good for them alone is, you know, uh, uh, an effective way to operate uh, avoids the uh, very important notion that this is one country, that um, everybody, when you go into a classroom full of kids, it's often dictated how well that classroom will do by virtue of how well the kid who has the most struggle in that classroom does, right? Because that might have an impact on the entire classroom. So if we can help that child get better, it helps the entire community of that classroom. That's what I would say to somebody who's wealthy about why they should be engaged in, you know, what's good for the entire society, not just what's good for them. All right. All right. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, novel question, by the way. Yes. Thank uh, you. What made you want to ask that, by the way? Well, JB was there to advocate for other philanthropists to invest their money and to help poor families. And so he talked all about how it was really important to make sure that children can have all these wonderful opportunities, but it was not covered specifically what the incentive may be for these wealthy families to actually make that financial contribution. Oh, okay, cool, cool. All right, and then you asked him something else. What was that? Yes, yeah, so I also asked JB how it is that tough neighborhoods can improve specifically through early childhood education. All right, let's hear that. It's hugely important. It changes the trajectory of that very young child, even in a difficult neighborhood, if we make it available. If it's not available, can't take advantage of it. All right. So what did you take away from the event? What, did you enjoy it? It was a very enjoyable event, and there were a lot of representatives there from San Diego Unified School District. And it was um, mostly talking about how the economy can improve through early child ed education and that San Diego has a great opportunity to partake in those kinds of, uh, those kinds of ventures. All right. I'm calling it right now, folks. Rachel Evans. Uh, stay tuned for her. Follow her on Twitter at Songs from Rachel. Songs from Rachel. All right. She is uh, a star in the making. We're looking forward to hearing more from her throughout this Good Schools for All podcast and at voiceofsandiego.org. I want to introduce our guest for this week, Ida Rose Flores. Ida Rose is the executive director of the Elementary Institute of Science in the Diamond Communities here in San Diego, and she's also the national vice president of the National Association for the Education of Young Children. And so I, I mentioned earlier, I think she's just one of our amazing assets in education in the San Diego region, and she's in particular an expert about early childhood education, so we wanted to bring her in today. Um, Ida Rose, can you tell us a little bit more about Elementary Institute of Science and NIAC and your roles in both? both of those places? Sure, I'd love to. The Elementary Institute of Science has been um, an organization serving the Southeast San Diego area for over 51 years, um, historically serving children ages 7 through 13, and bringing STEM enrichment and um, experiences, authentic hands-on experiences to children who may not otherwise have those experiences in school or um, just in their, in their life experience. Um, so is it like a program that students go to after school or during schools? Or? Um, it's an after school program, Saturday program. We have camps, um, spring break, winter break, summer break camps. And now we've also expanded so that we're partnering with schools. So our instructors go into local schools and then we have some schools that come in and use our facilities because we have eight science labs, science and computer labs. And tell us about your background. Where did, uh, how did you get involved in this? Well, my background is in educational psychology. Um, I started as a school psychologist, actually, working in public schools for about 20, 25 years, and then shifted um, because of what I saw happening with, with students and um, decided that it, I could be more effective if I focused on early childhood and if I focused on the system, educational systems. And, um, and so then I worked for, um, I became a professor at Arizona State and University of Arizona, and then um, worked for WestEd, which is a large public nonprofit. 
and led a large statewide effort for First Five California. And through that, those experiences just learned a lot about how to get people to work together. You said uh, you, before uh, you came on recording, you said there was a there was a time when you were teaching middle school, right? Or when you were you were observing middle school students. Well, when I was a school psychologist, I focused the beginning of my career on adolescents oh. and middle school students. And um, when I started looking at their, you know, every good school psychologist does a record review um, when you first get a referral. And these were really thick records. These were, you know, kids who, you know, the, the difficulties that they had went way back. And when I would flip through, literally flip through the pages, I, where, where could we have really made a significant difference in this child's life so we would be in a different place now? And it always went back to the very earliest phases of their educational career. I guess what bothers me and what's hard for this discussion is this idea that if you don't get this right, it's it's over. Are we are we implying that when we have this discussion that it's doomed or it's just so much harder? Is that what we're saying? It's it's the the latter of what you just said. You know, I was riding um, the Bayshore Bikeway a few weeks ago, and we had a really strong wind. And when that wind was at my back, man, I was going 15 miles an hour and feeling like I was the best mm-hmm. cyclist, you know, on the planet. And it felt good. Stopped for a snack, turned around, and came back with a headwind. And, you know, I was the same person and same circumstances, but I could barely get six miles an hour out of my bike. And so... You know, it really is about, you know, are we going to have kids be, you know, riding their educational career with this strong headwind in their face, or do we start them off right with that head, that, that wind at their back? Yeah, so tell us about brain science and what we've learned over the past decade or so about early brain development that is part of that wind that can be at our back or um, can be in the face of a child if, if that early brain development um, isn't at its best. You know, probably the most important thing that we've learned is that children's brains are actually shaped by the experiences that they have primarily with adults, with other children and with objects in their environment, but primarily with adults. Um, Scientists call it serve and return. And a lot of times people think the adults are the ones doing the serving, but actually it's the child that children come to us, come into this world ready to learn. They are expecting to learn. And so they will serve these cues, these invitations, interact with me. I want to learn. I'm curious. Um, They may not have those words in their minds yet as their infants, but that behavior, um, when it elicits those helpful scaffolding responses, those ways that adults interact to, to help children interact with their environment, that the brain actually becomes um, stronger, the neural connections become stronger, and that child lays foundations in the actual shape of that child's brain so that they can learn more. It's like learning begets learning, and it creates this wonderful cycle um, that becomes that wind at their back. Let me ask you about that headwind. As Let's get deeper into that concept. What, what does that feel like, to the best of our understanding, for a child? What is the headwind? Does it feel like confusion? Does it feel like uh, failure, or does it just feel like uh, like like you just you're just always in trouble or something? I think it, it, I think it's a very um, individual experience for kids, and it can be any or all of what you just said. So when a child, for example, um, we just learned a couple of weeks ago a study that came out of Penn State that the gaps that we see in middle school science are well established by the time a child enters kindergarten. And, well, what is that all about? Their general knowledge about how the world works is established in those first five years of life. And so, for example, if a child doesn't have just basic vocabulary, so if they, if they haven't heard the word microscope or even elephant, if they, they haven't been connected with, you know, or cloud cycle or weather system, you have children from higher economic backgrounds that are hearing these concepts on a regular basis, but a child who isn't hearing those concepts, they're not hearing those vocabulary words. And of course, they come into an environment, they may not even know that they've missed a word that went by them, or they might be confused by it. 
they may see other children excelling and start to then internalize that they're not quite as smart as another child when in fact it's a knowledge deficit, not an intellectual deficit. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as I can imagine, some uh, parents and others listening to this, I, I don't think we have a lot of people or constituencies or audiences who are going to who are going to be on the side of well, we shouldn't have preschool, right? That that we're all we're all pretty much on board with the idea that we need to get this going early. But what do, what are the what are the obstacles right now as you're on the front lines of this that is that are keeping kids from these experiences, and what can we do about it? Well, there there are many obstacles. I, I will say this, however, we actually do know what works. Okay. And that's what's exciting to me. The exciting part is we really do know what works, that when we have people who understand child development, people who know how to engage children playfully in real authentic experiences, that those children, they have much better outcomes. It's one of the best public investments. Like you really can't go wrong. There's so little risk when we invest public dollars in um, early childhood. Some of the obstacles are um, related to the systems that we create. So, you know, we have, if you look at our public school system, um, we do have some variation. You know, there's private and there's public charters. and But for the most part, when a family moves into a community and they have a, a seventh grade kid, they, they know where to go. Mm-hmm. They know who to ask. It's not the same if you have a seven-month-old child. So even just accessing is one barrier. Figuring out where and, – and it doesn't matter your, your socioeconomic background. I have mm-hmm. neighbors that have a, a six-month-old baby, and when I was, I was talking with the wife when she was pregnant, and both she and her husband have really good jobs. And you know they're from out of state, and they couldn't find – they're like, where do we get high-quality child care? Mm-hmm. So just knowing where it exists, accessing it, of course paying for it, because right now we know that birth through five, child care, high-quality – actually costs more than college tuition. We all know how high college tuition is right now. Um, so how, how do we pay for it? Yeah, I actually looked at that data recently. Um, uh, the average cost of childcare in San Diego County is about $13,400. The price of a year at UCSD is $13,800. It's really about the same. And yet, when your kid's going to college, you've been earning um, income for a lot more years. You're better able to afford that than parents of very young children are. Well, and I'm glad, I'm glad you said that about not not necessarily knowing what to do, even if you're well off, like you said, even if you're if you're if you have means, I think I've, I'm surprised that a lot of our parents, friends that are out there who who don't even confront what they're going to do with their child as they go after they go to work after he or she is born, that they that they're that often they're they're scrambling at that point trying to figure out what to do, and then and then they're making like the easiest or the quickest decision that they can about that. And I'm, I'm not saying we were even that better off. We, you know, we had a similar experience, except that we planned during pregnancy to, you know, uh, for, for how that would come. But I didn't even think about that, that that's a connection right there to preschool. What you said in motion when the child's an infant is, is, is actually uh, going to have impacts on that early education. Absolutely. And in fact, the research shows quite clearly that you know, a, a lot of our public programs are really focused on preschool, and, and I don't want to in any way diminish how important preschool is. And yet the research is really clear that what we do in those first three years of life, zero to three, actually we get the the best return on investment from those first three years. And yet that's where the systems that we put in place, um, that we have the public systems, really don't support Families with very young children that are infants and toddlers. I I have to I have to tell you my I have three children, twenty um, five year old twins and a twenty something year old. And <laughs> when my twins, when I was pregnant with my twins, I was um, an intern about to become a school psychologist, and I lived in rural Pennsylvania. And I had um, high quality childcare lined up, and interestingly enough, where the children were going to go was suddenly closed because there was lead paint. Mm-hmm. So that's you know in the news currently. What I honestly cannot believe is that those twins are 25 years old, and I'm back home here in San Diego in 2016, and it is still as hard 
for parents to find high quality, affordable child care in this city that I love in 2016. You know, it's crazy. I, I have to say, I think that we know the system was designed for an era when uh, one of the parents, the mom generally, was able to be home and uh, and our economy supported just a one income earning family. And so mom was generally home with the kids, able to take care of them until age five or six when they went off to the public education system. That's how we designed our systems. Other countries have adapted to the new economic reality that most kids have two working parents, and somehow the United States hasn't quite gotten there. You're absolutely right. And it, it has enormous implications, not just for individual families, but for our society. So, you know, at the Elementary Institute of Science, of course, I'm focusing on science education and just recently, a report came out and, and said, you know, that we've been talking about this growing storm of not having a trained and well-educated workforce for the science and technology fields of the future. And just think about all of the biotech that we have here in the defense industry in San Diego. And this report went on and said, it isn't a gathering storm anymore. It's a Category 5 hurricane. Hmm. And if you if you look at those needs and you track it where's where's the origin? Where do we have the greatest leverage? In other words, the where we can get you know the biggest impact for the smallest investment, it is in early childhood. And yeah. it is in that continuum birth through age eight um, where we can actually have the biggest impact. So what would it look like if it were ideal or even just better? If you have a child, what, what kinds of things would you see? What kind of programs would you be confronted with? How would it feel for a, a parent at that point? One of the most important things that it would be like for a parent is, first of all, parents would know what quality looks like. So everything that I'm about to say, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. It would be a warm and welcoming environment. That's one of the, the, the keys. You know, when, when a child first enters and parents first enter, the parents need to feel that they are welcome and that the child is is um, being nurtured, so a nurture, nurturing environment, but also that within that learning environment, there's opportunities for lots of hands-on inquiry, lots of language. There's lots of talking going on. You don't want a quiet early childhood setting. You know, this is one thing that concerns me about going into kindergarten and first grade in recent years, you want a noisy classroom in kindergarten and first grade. And so another piece of this is you want a continuum. So there really shouldn't be these kind of cliffs Mm -hmm. where you have that preschool and kindergarten look so different or um, transitional kindergarten, TK and K. And yet what we have is we have a system that trains teachers and administrators differently for these different age groups. And so you don't have this, this continuum. A parent, you know, it's very artificial. We've decided that our system should have, you know, preschool and then kindergarten and transitional kindergarten and then, you know, first grade. That's not, that's not how children grow. That's not how they develop. So the continuum of um, experience should literally be a continuum where it's seamless and where you have parents interacting with very high quality, well-educated early childhood educators. So you can get that if you're a parent who's resourceful, not just resourceful with money, but resourceful that you you seek things out and you line it up, you read the books, you talk to people like you, you get everything lined up. But what I'm trying to understand is like where how could we how can we make that path a little clearer for parents? Well, I think I would have to disagree with you that even well-resourced parents have a very difficult time um, not only accessing, but, you know, going from one program to another. Um, It's it's disjointed. It's um, both for the child and and for the the family. And, and, you know, my goodness, don't move. I mean, that would make it even worse. But we know that we live in a very mobile society. And so what we have to do is we have to create systems that work for everybody. You know, we're talking about, we hear a lot about, you know, the whole child, making sure that we're addressing social and emotional as well as cognitive um, development and and literacy development. But it not only needs to be the whole child, but every child. Mm -hmm. I I think we can bring it alive for people a little bit. Ida Rose, like, so 
I think about the licensing standards for preschool, and they say that you should have one teacher for every eight kids. And the typical class size in San Diego County for transitional kindergarten and kindergarten, I think it's supposed to be 24, but often is much higher than that. Mine's is 23, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing magical that says that four-year-olds need one teacher for every eight kids, and then all of a sudden at age five they can handle um, 23 or 24 kids per teacher, but we treat it as if there's some you know, some huge change in the child. But well, really you, it's just a change in the system. That, and you talk about that continuum. I think that was really jarring for my son. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, and I think he's trying to conform in the in the in the classroom for him has become really difficult because and I don't I don't blame anybody. It's just it's just that that was a very jarring experience for him. And I understand the teacher needing to have conformity, needing to have, you know, to to manage twenty four kids or twenty three kids. It's it's not easy. And and so he she he can't be you know in his own world, but but that was definitely a jarring experience for them. One of the things that the brain science has really helped us to understand is that one of the crucial aspects of child development is what's called executive function. To translate that, if you think about an air traffic controller, so well as human beings, we have to manage so many so much input. So just driving downtown here today, you know, paying attention to the traffic and the the signals and where am I and what was that building called again? Well, children are navigating their world as well. And where they allocate their attention, you know, what, what should I be paying attention to right now? It's a very different experience when there's a group of eight children with one adult versus a group of 22 children with one adult. And when there's that big jump and it's, you know, it happens very quickly, it can be a very jarring experience for children. A lot of times children can end up feeling very lost. You know, some of, some of them will see, you know, behavioral um, acting out, as we sometimes call it. Really, it's, I'm lost here and I, I need someone to help me. Or other children will just kind of fade into the background and, and maybe watch and figure it out and get it. But we need to build a a better system that actually helps to build those bridges so that it's this natural um, continuum for children that follows their developmental pathway. How do you do that? Does that mean bridging the, does that mean San Diego Unified or these, or these school districts getting more into pre-K and and earlier education? Or does it mean that there's more liaison experiences? I don't understand how, how that would actually come to fruition. One very concrete thing that we could do is require administrators and also um, teachers who are teaching kindergarten, first grade, to have to have more child development um, coursework and understanding. It's kind of shocking to me when you have um, some teachers who who have never had an early childhood development course, so they're they're not necessarily even speaking the same language as a preschool teacher. Conversely, we also need better educated birth through five educators who who know the curriculum, who understand how to teach reading, so that we can you know build this this bridge. But when you have principals, and there's many a very simple thing that could be done is for principals to be required to have early childhood um, background and experience. Another thing that could happen tomorrow would be for every principal that has a Head Start Center on her or his campus to go pay a visit to that Head Start director and say, let me spend you know a half an hour here. Let me get to know you. Would you like to come and meet our teachers? Even just those simple conversations. Would your parents like to participate in our assemblies or in our uh, volunteer programs? Absolutely. Yeah. But we've talked a lot about formal care and education, but the early childhood opportunity is also about parents and and families and how they can create home environments and, and relationships with their kids that help them out. So, for example, home visiting programs can be really powerful in helping parents to get into the parenting job and know how their um, how their interactions with their kids have a big influence on them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. You know, one of the most important things for new parents is for them to feel empowered to be a parent. We talk a lot about family engagement. I like to think about it as family empowerment so that um, you know, new parents are just kind of like, oh my goodness, am I going to get this right? 
I, I remember feeling that way myself. And even as a new parent, even though I had an education, I just thought, oh my goodness, I'm, you know. So any way that we can build systems, both formal and informal, such as the home visiting, there's just, we know that the home visiting programs work. To put books in parents' hands, to encourage them to talk to their children, to talk to their children no matter what language they speak. We know that those brain connections are developing, that language is so important. And I think we've sent the wrong message to parents who are not speaking English. And a lot of times they, they don't talk to their children because they're afraid that that will interfere with them learning English. When we know that early language development, talking to their kids, singing to their kids, reading to their kids on a regular basis, just telling them about the world, engaging them in conversation. Um, we want parents of young children to be annoying us in public on, you know, at the grocery store, at the bus station, because they're talking with their children so much. Mm. Ida Rose Flores, a wonderful discussion with you today. Is there anything else about what you're doing or that you need help with or plans that you're working on that we should be aware of? Well, we have a lot going on um, at the El Elementary Institute of Science. We just had a fantastic open house um, on Saturday that was very well attended, and we're very excited about it. Um, I will tell you one thing. Um, we have a proposal in to the National Science Foundation um, for a planning grant we're calling EcoSTEM. What we've proposed is to get together community leaders. Um, we have about a dozen who have committed. And should we get funded? What we will be doing is planning an early childhood ecosystem in Southeast San Diego. And what that means is that we want to support and empower parents that wherever they go, whether it's you know to the Malcolm X Library or they're going grocery shopping or to the pharmacy or they come to our institute that um, or they go to the Y, that they're hearing about how they can talk to their children about science and about STEM. So it just becomes embedded and they feel very comfortable and it's in their home language as well as their just a natural way of being with their children um, so that we can encourage early science learning. That sounds great. I hope you get that grant. Yeah. Wonderful to talk to you, Ida Rose Flores, and good luck with everything you do. Thank you very much. It's Thanks, been a Ida pleasure Rose. to be here today. That was fun. That was great. We did it. Yeah. First episode's off the ground. We have a great uh, and exciting guest for next week as well. Uh, filmmaker Greg Whiteley is going to join us. He produced a movie called Most Likely to Succeed uh, that focused on uh, on some schools in San Diego, High Tech High and such. And, uh, yeah, it it's a good. great film. Really good film. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll have some clips of that as well and we'll discuss it. So yes, again, uh, about every week with Good Schools for All. And if again, if you have any feedback or ideas for the show, uh, please send them to scott at voiceofsandiego.org on email. We're also going to set up some kind of voicemail or app uh, system that can allow you to uh, send in some, some uh, comments uh, with your own voice as well. So uh, look forward to that system and we'll have fun with the show, huh? This will be great. Until right. next time. All right. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura.